So we're in the book of Acts, so we're working our way through, and we are in Acts chapter 11 today. And so um, the title of this message is Cleansed or Crucified. Cleansed or Crucified. God calling pigs clean is not justification for us to call evil good. Sin is still sin, even though the unclean are now made clean. You ready? Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read to you the first 18 verses. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At the very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now, you may or you may not know what a Gentile is or was. There are still Gentiles today from the Jewish point of view. For a Jew, Peter was a Jew, Jesus was a Jew, all the apostles were Jews. This church that we call the New Testament church began in the context of Judaism and the Jewish people. We have a Jewish Messiah. And the roots of our church go back to the Jewish people. But salvation was never meant to be only for the Jews. Salvation was meant for all men, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people. And so when these Jews heard Peter's story... And they said, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. 
It's hard for us to understand how difficult that was for those Jews to accept that. Because everything they had been taught, everything they had ever lived, not from God, but from men, you do realize that much of what we believe, much of what we practice, much of what we hang on to and fight for is not necessarily from God. Much of it is from men. And this is what had happened in this exclusively Jewish church. And God had to do something extremely extraordinary in order to get this good Jew, Peter, to go with these Gentiles. And now salvation has come to the nations, to the Gentiles. That's what the word Gentile means. Remember nations, all the nations. But I want you to understand how difficult it was for these Jews to accept that. And we're going to see as we go continue to go through Acts, it wasn't just accepting Gentiles into Judaism. That wasn't a problem. It's what God was doing. It's what God did with Peter. It's what God did with Paul. It's what God proclaimed that our justification is not in our keeping of the law. Our justification is by faith. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from the deeds of the law. The differences men have, the differences between human beings, the differences in culture and practice is not new. The divisions we're seeing in our nation today, in the world today, are not new. And the answer to these divisions is not a new brand of social justice. It's not a new movement focused on one aspect of life. The answer to social justice was given to us in the very beginning. It is the gospel. It is Jesus Christ. He is the answer to all the ills, to all the problems. He is the only hope we have. And if we try to not just replace Jesus, because no one in the church, well, I wouldn't say no one, but most people who profess to be orthodox in the church, who profess to believe the Bible, it's not that they're trying to replace Jesus. They're trying to hook something else to Jesus because they wouldn't say it this way, but this really is what this means in practice. You do realize that what you believe is not what you say. What you believe is what you do. You can say all kinds of things. You can say you believe all kinds of things. But your belief is not ultimately seen in what you say. Your belief is seen in what you do. And with the church, when the church out of one side of their mouth says Jesus is the only answer, but they're hooking all kinds of things to Jesus because Jesus needs some help. The gospel needs some help. No, it doesn't. Jesus doesn't need any help. The gospel does not need any help. The gospel stands alone as the power of God to salvation. For the Jew first and also for the Greek and every other kind of human being on the face of this earth. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds today. That you would open our hearts and our minds to the gospel. That you would... Lord, break down any walls, any barriers, any stereotypes. 
Lord, any stigmas that are hanging us up that would keep us from seeing the gospel for what it is. The only hope, the only answer that you have given to the world. That there is nothing we can add to the gospel. There is nothing we can add to Jesus. Anything we add takes away. Father, help us to see and to hear and to be a people who live your gospel in power, knowing that the gospel and the gospel alone, the gospel alone is the power of God to salvation. And may it save glorious those who hear it and see it and receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. The revelation God gave Peter was salvation through Christ for all people. This is why God did what he did with Peter. What we read in Acts chapter 10, what Peter is recounting here when he's up on that rooftop and he sees this vision of the sheet coming down. That salvation through Christ is for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. Keep in mind that at this time, the church is exclusively Jewish, preaching to exclusively Jewish people. And that's not what Jesus commanded his disciples. He said, preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They had stopped in Jerusalem and in Judea, preaching only to Jews. And God would not allow his great commission, his gospel, to be derailed by a bunch of Jews who couldn't get past their Jewishness or a Gentile's not-Jewishness, un-Jewishness. The law of Moses that had governed life for the Jews would not govern life for the Gentiles. It's not that the law was bad. It's not. The law is good and holy. We're bad, not the law. But the law could never save us. The law was never meant to save us. The law was only given to us to show us that we cannot be saved by our good works. We cannot be saved by our good deeds. We cannot be saved by the law no matter how righteous and holy we think we are based on our behavior. Because what we can't do is change our hearts. What we can't do is change what's on the inside of us. We can put on all kinds of shows on the outside and make people think we're all this and more. But we can't change the condition of our heart. And God's not interested in how well you can do tricks of righteousness and make people think you're righteous. God says, no, you've got to be righteous from the inside out, not just the outside. Now in Christ, the law of the spirit of life governs all, both Jew and Gentile. Jesus, the law keeper, is now our righteousness through faith. We are not just cleansed, we are crucified with him that he may now live in us and through us. So when Peter comes back after having preached to Cornelius and his household and seeing the Holy Spirit fall on these Gentiles, and he is in utter amazement. He is speechless. Remember, he doesn't even get to finish. He just begins his sermon, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God falls. And God did that on purpose so that Peter 
not only could not take any glory so that Peter would know that there is nothing he did, this is what God has done. This is for us to know and to be reassured that our salvation is not based on anything we did. Our salvation is exclusively based on what God has done. So Peter had to contend with those of the circumcision, it says here. And they said to Peter, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. That was the accusation. And guess what? It was true. Peter did go to uncircumcised men. He broke bread with them. He may have even eaten bacon with them. I don't know. Because he had that vision of that sheet. And it says, if they serve you pig, go ahead and eat it. It's clean now. He preached the gospel to these once unclean. And God gave them salvation. And Peter was able to make the transition that if God can cleanse, cleanse animals, if God can take animals that were once unclean, surely he can take people who were once considered unclean. And that's exactly the point of the trance and the point of the vision and the point of everything God did. It's why we are hearing the gospel today. It's why we are saved today. It's why we count ourselves children of Abraham today, not because we're Jewish in our ethnicity, but because we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our elder brother. And we are all children of the Father, the same Father who is the Father of Jesus. Not based on what we did, not based on where we were born, but based on what he did and based on the reality that we have been born again. As well-meaning as those of the circumcision may have been, they were wrong. They did not yet understand what God was doing or that it was what he had always purposed to do. This is not something new. The salvation of the world, the salvation of the nations was not new. It's what God had proclaimed from the beginning when there was just one man and one woman in the garden with the serpent. And God says to the serpent, this woman's going to have a baby that's going to come one day and, she, and that baby's going to crush your head, to put it in modern lingo. The seed of the woman is coming and he will crush your head one day. And from that moment... In the garden, when God declared that judgment upon the serpent, I want you to know and I want you to take great pleasure in the fact that the serpent was not able to rest one moment from that time in the garden. He spent his entire existence and still does looking behind him wondering. Well, he's not wondering anymore because the seed of the woman has come and she and he has crushed the head of the serpent. Now he is just enraged and will do as much damage as he can, which is not very much, not any more than God would allow him to do. This is exactly what we're talking about on Wednesday night as we go through the book of Revelation. We're in the very chapters right now where it's talking about the serpent being cast down to the earth and great wrath coming upon those who dwell on the earth. This is what we're living. This is what we are experiencing right now. Don't think it's strange that people hate you because you love Jesus. The real Jesus. The Jesus of the scripture. God prepared Peter 
to contend with those of the circumcision. God orchestrated the entire encounter in such a way that no one could miss the divine providence of it all. It was all according to God's words spoken by the prophets. Peter knew all the Jews with him knew, and all those hearing Peter recount this story, these events, knew that God had granted repentance to the Gentiles. It could not be denied. There was no mistake here. Peter, are you sure that really happened? Yes, that happened. Well, what do you guys think? You think God wants to save the Gentiles? I mean, that's not how the discussion went. It was so plain, it was so clear, it was so obvious that even these Jews who had considered Gentiles unclean, some who would not even walk on the same side of the street with them, could not do anything but say, God has also granted repentance to life to the Gentiles. God made it that plain. When Peter contended with those of the circumcision, he was contending for the gospel. This was a defining moment in the life of the church and the history of Christianity. Would the church continue under the assumption that all would necessarily come under the law of Moses and keep that law to be saved? Or would the church embrace justification by faith apart from the deeds of the law? In 1517, we had what was called a reformation. But that reformation wasn't a new theology for the church. It was a return to the old theology. It was a return to the grace of God. It was a return to justification by grace through faith that God proclaimed in the very beginning when he said, let there be light. And there was light. The gospel doesn't begin with Matthew 1.1. The gospel begins with God uttering his voice into the creation. It is the church that departed from the gospel, not the gospel that departed from the church. And this is what's happening here. This defining moment is making sure that the gospel of God, preached since creation, remains the focus. The Jews had gotten off track. They had created so many laws, so many rules, so many regulations that God did not do. Men did this in their traditions. And Jesus chastised them for it. Read the Gospels. Read Matthew 23. Read what Jesus says. This is God bringing his church back to the Gospel. Making sure that the error that the church had fallen into under Judaism would not continue in the new creation, in the one new man that God had created in himself, in Christ Jesus. What God did in leading Peter to the Gentiles laid the foundation for freeing us from bondage to the law. It prepared the way for all in Christ to know they live justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. God hates sin. What God did is not for us to continue in sin, but for us to be truly righteous in Christ and be free from sin. 
The law did not set us free from sin. The law magnified our sin. The law revealed our sin and said, now what are you going to do? You can't get out from under your sin by the law because you can't keep the law. Not because the law is bad, but because you're bad. What Jesus did in justifying us through the cross by his blood poured out for us is not saying the law is bad. It's putting the law and putting us in the proper perspective. Jesus, the law keeper, came. He kept the law. And now we keep the law in him. He has freed us from sin, not freed us to sin, as some believe mistakenly. God can make clean what is unclean. So let's think about this. God used the vision of the sheet filled with all sorts of unclean animals, beasts, creeping things, and birds to teach Peter that what God calls clean, no man is to call unclean. This was to give Peter assurance that he was not violating God's ordinance by going to the Gentiles. Rather, Peter was obeying God's command. God created all four-footed animals of the earth. He created all the wild beasts, all the creeping things, all the birds of the air. He called some unclean and he called some clean. The use of those kinds of animals set people apart from other people. This is what God did. God said to the Jews, you only deal with the clean animals and you leave the unclean alone. And this is why Peter said, nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. Because he was a Jew. And those practices, those ordinances separated the Jews from everyone else on earth. And those people who ate unclean things, guess what they became? Unclean. God in his time and according to his purpose chose to call clean what was once called unclean. You do realize God, it was God who called them unclean to begin with. God created them. So God has the right, the prerogative to call the unclean now clean. That's not a contradiction. That's not God changing his mind. That's the plan and the purpose of God. Because this ultimately was never about clean and unclean animals. This is about the salvation of the world. God did not abolish kinds of sin just because he abolished unclean animals. He didn't abolish them, but he says, these animals aren't unclean anymore. Now they all fall into the clean category. He called clean kinds of animals. He didn't abolish kinds of sin. This is exactly what he did with the Gentiles. He called them clean so Peter could take the gospel to them. God created man in his image. What that means is every human being born on planet earth bears the image of God. God created all the diversity of men. And in that diversity, he created them male and female. We should really pay attention to what the Bible teaches us. In all of the diversity, there is only one race, the human race. All the differences we see in people are literally skin deep. You do realize that, right? Black people aren't a different race from white people. White people aren't a different race from brown people. Yellow people aren't a different race from red people. The differences in humanity are literally skin deep. 
But guess who put those differences there? God did. It's God who created those differences within the human race. We should celebrate our differences in the context of our unity because the diversity we see in the one humanity is from God. I'm sorry not all of you can have a head like mine and be as aerodynamic as me. I'm sorry. It's like when I watched Vadi Bakum and he said, I'm sorry not all of you have the same amount of melanin in, in your skin as I do. God gave me much more. No human being should ever apologize for the color of their skin. No human being should ever apologize for the origin of their birth. No human being should ever apologize for their parents. Or any other trait or marker that only God has control over. What we are seeing take place in our culture today. With the demand that men apologize for anything and everything they had no control over is sin. Period. It's sin. It is the sin of the first Adam run amok and out of control. This is the same old song of the serpent. It's just a different verse. Listen to the warning from the scripture, Ephesians 5, 11 through 14. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. The children of God do not need to be woke. They need to awake. As sure as heaven, they better awake soon. Or the nation and the states and the cities, we with our children and grandchildren call home, will descend further into hell. God has warned us. Are we listening and obeying or... Are we cowering in the face of a loud but impotent world? I'll let you decide what's happening. God does not just clean the unclean. He crucifies the sinful. We talk about humanity and the diversity of humanity and all that's well and all that's good and all that's great and we should do all of that and celebrate all that but we should also realize and never forget that the human race is fallen. It fell into sin when Adam and his bride, the first of humanity, sinned against God and ate the fruit in hopes, here's what Adam wanted to do, here's what men want today, in hopes of becoming like God. This is Adam's sin. He wanted to be his own God and live however he chose, doing what he deemed right in his own eyes out of the newfound knowledge of good and evil. The creature tried to take the place of the creator. Just like the serpent who tempted him had tried to do. They both failed. But this is still the sin we see in the children of the first Adam today. Everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. Justifying sin in disobedience to God. The sin of the first man is transferred to every human being born into this world. We are all 
born in sin. In Adam, all men die. We are born in sin, in death, in darkness, and man cannot change that. Only God can. And this is why we must be born again in the second man, Jesus Christ. God changes us in his grace when he causes us to be born again. Sin is more than what we do. Sin is who we are. This is why you can't be saved by your works. Just doing better things won't save you. Just doing good things cannot save you because what you do does not ultimately determine your sinfulness. Who you are ultimately determines your sinfulness. And the reason we sin is not because of what we do. It is because of who we are. The same way my dogs bark every night. I don't know why they bark other than they are just dogs. And it's what dogs do. And it is sinful. Sorry, neighbors. They're just sinful. And we laugh about that. But we are no different than dogs. Barking in the night who have no reason that we know of for barking. We don't have to have a reason to sin. Sin comes naturally for us. We don't have to have someone to teach us how to sin. Sin comes naturally for us because we're born in sin. It's who we are. Therefore, we do what we are. We become what we are. And the only solution to that is not to do better, not to try harder, not to run faster. The only solution to that is God. I was born in sin. I must be born again. And be a new creation. And only God can do that. The hope of a new creation. The hope of salvation has been promised. Not just to the Jews. But to the whole world. Through Jesus Christ. Listen to Isaiah 49.6. <clears throat> Indeed he says. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant. To raise up the tribes of Jacob. And to restore the preserved ones of Israel. <clears throat> I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth, even to Taylor, Texas. This is good news. This is the gospel that saves the world. God did not only change the unclean to clean. He sent his only begotten son so that we in our sin would be crucified with him and receive his eternal life and righteousness through faith. God not only cleans the unclean, he crucifies the sinful. All to new life and righteousness in Christ. This is what Peter did when he went to the house of Cornelius. He carried the good news to the Gentiles. He paved the way for salvation in Christ to leave Jerusalem and Judea and the Jews and be preached to the ends of the earth to all nations. And we today, right now, are a product of what Peter did when he obeyed God and went to the house of Cornelius. 
God would not only clean the unclean, he would crucify with Christ sinners from all nations, from all tongues, from all tribes, out of the diversity of humanity. He would create in himself one new man by breaking down the wall of division. God did not abolish the things that make us distinct in our humanity. He abolished the things that divide us in our distinction. By crucifying us with Christ, he has made us one with all of our distinctions, with all of our diversity intact. Love celebrates those God-ordained distinctions while holding fast to the unity that we have in Christ. This is the beauty and the power of the cross. God has taken away our sin, but he has not taken away the things that make us human. The things that make us who he created us to be. Now we can love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all of our strength. And now we can love our neighbor as ourselves. And all this started with a sheep coming down from heaven filled with wild beasts and four-footed animals and creeping things and birds. Some of you may still be focused on the fact that you can eat bacon and shrimp and lobster without guilt. But I want you to expand your vision a little bit there. And I want you to understand, as so many misunderstand, that eating without guilt does not now equal sinning without guilt. God cleansing what was unclean does not mean God has changed his position on sin. I, if I had a nickel for every time someone arguing for their sinfulness said to me, Well, do you eat bacon? Like they got me. You eat shrimp? Huh? Huh? Pastor? But you eat bacon, don't you? Yes, I do, and I love it. What's your point? Well, God said, don't eat pigs. They're unclean. You're sinning. Uh, mm, no, you need to go back and read your Bible. Do you know a lot of Christians don't, don't know the difference? A lot of Christians are stuck when someone says, well, the Bible says it's a sin to eat shellfish. Do you like shellfish? Well, I love shellfish. I love to go to Red Lobster. Oh, well, you're sinning then. And they're like, oh, oh, mm, I don't know how to answer that. We need to know how to answer that. The answer is not hidden. It's not complicated. It's in the Bible. When we get to Acts chapter 15, we're going to see exactly why you can, if you choose to, eat bacon and not feel guilty. And no one can hang you up and make you look like a hypocrite because you do. That is the imagination of sinful man. That is not the word of God. The change in food ordinances that govern the Jews is used by some as justification for sin. Some believe God has changed his mind about certain sins. God does not change his mind about sin, any of them. Do you understand? Sin is sin. He doesn't change his mind about that. God hates sin, period. However much, listen, we, we like to talk about 
God's love, and we should, but we never think about, we always think about what God loves, but we never think about what God hates. You know, I ask this question very often. Does a good shepherd hate the wolf that's coming to kill his sheep? Yes, he does. And he'll kill the wolf in order to save his sheep. Why? Because he loves his sheep. We always talk about loving the sheep, but we don't ever talk about hating the wolf. Think about this. However much God loves the world, he equally hates the sin that has corrupted the world. It is because of sin that God sent his sinless son into the world to die for sinners, for all sinners who will trust in him. However much God loves the world, he equally hates sin. God still loves the world and he still hates sin. This change God brought was not for sin, it was for salvation. God called clean the unclean so that Peter could, without guilt, take salvation to the Gentiles and free them from their sin. God sent Peter to the home of Cornelius to tell them words by which Cornelius and all of his household would be saved. God called those Gentiles clean so that salvation would not only come to them, but to the ends of the earth. God did not call sin clean. God called animals and people clean who were once called unclean. God did this so that the gospel could be preached to all people of all nations, just as God had always promised it would be. The fact that you can eat shrimp or lobster with your steak without guilt does not mean you can now sin without guilt. There are not certain forms of sexual immorality that now have the green light because pigs are no longer unclean. This is true for sexual immorality. This is true for all kinds of immorality that the Bible speaks against. I don't care what it is. Lying, cheating, stealing. Well, I don't mind stealing from Walmart because they got plenty of money. They don't need it. I do. I've had people tell me that. Well, I don't mind cheating the government. They, they got more money than they need anyways. I mean, we, we make excuses for all kinds of things that aren't right. And we justify our sin. It's not just the, the sins we like to focus on or the culture likes to focus on. It's all sin. God hates all sin. We should oppose all of it equally without discrimination. Because that's exactly what God does. The blood of the Lord Jesus was shed for sinners. Not only does God not discriminate against people when it comes to salvation, God does not discriminate against sin when it comes to people. The blood of the Lord Jesus is too precious for us to coddle sin and pretend God does not hate it. All of it, in all of its forms, in all people, without discrimination. God is an equal opportunity Savior, and He will be an equal opportunity judge in the judgment.
The good news is that God gives the same gift to all who call upon his name. God poured out his spirit on the Gentiles. God pours out his spirit on all flesh who calls upon his name. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. If we are ashamed of the gospel, we will see no salvation. But continued sin and death and destruction. The church, that means Christ's fellowship church and the church as a whole. The church must realize that the good news is not that we can sin now, but that we can be free from sin now. We must stop trying to appease men because we are afraid of, are you ready? This is the truth. Our budgets, our buildings, and our retirements. You dress that pig up, speaking of pigs, however you want. You put as much makeup on it. You put as much on it to make it not look like a pig, but it's still a pig. We have men of God, women of God, people of God, afraid to speak the truth because they're worried about their budgets. They're worried about their buildings. They're worried about their retirements. They're worried about the empires they are building instead of the kingdom that God says we should be praying come with his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Pastors are afraid to preach the truth because they fear man more than they fear God. Some fail to preach the truth because they don't believe it. There are actually pastors who consider themselves atheists, but they're pastors. You say, how can that be? Don't try to figure it out. It, it's the truth. It's not as uncommon as you think, said the pastor who deals with lots of pastors. Some failed to preach it because they were never taught it. They went to seminaries that taught them that this is old, this is antiquated. We're living in the modern time with modern beliefs. We're spiritually evolving. This is all language that comes out of the church. There's not one thing I'm saying that has not come out of the church by people and leaders in the church. This is what they say. This is how they're justifying the sin today. This is how they justify not preaching the gospel today. Some in our churches today believe the Bible is a collection of good stories not to be taken serious. Someone just told me that within the last two weeks. Someone who goes to church and professes to believe the Bible. I'm confused. I told him, I'm confused. Jesus didn't say to repent. You must be confused with Paul. No. Nope. Give them all the scriptures where Jesus said repent. The response is, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't write those words. Somebody else wrote those words. Jesus didn't say that. Well, you don't believe the Bible. Well, why, why do you say that? Well, because you just said. How do you know what the words of Jesus are if you don't believe the Bible? You know how you know? You imagine. Someone just recently told me that too. Pastor, can't you just imagine? The ancients were just people trying to figure out nature and reality. They wrote those stories and never intended them to be taken seriously. Just imagine. I said, no, thank you. I don't want to imagine. 
I have received a revelation of Christ. There's nothing I need to imagine. And anything I could possibly imagine would be less than the revelation of Christ that God in his grace has given me. Why would I want to imagine less than Christ? See, what we're dealing with doesn't make sense. Don't try to make sense of it. Just proclaim the truth to it. Don't try to reason with it and argue with it. Just speak the truth to it in love. Now, they won't think you're very loving because you're telling them the truth. But you keep loving and you keep speaking the truth. Some believe they have spiritually evolved into knowing more than we could ever know. More than God knows himself recorded for us in the scripture. They've spiritually evolved so that what God once called sin is no longer sin. Men were just ignorant back then. When they said a man shall not lie with another man or a woman with another woman. We conveniently leave out some of those gross sins. We don't talk about them because the majority of people still think they're gross. But what happens when the majority of people don't think they're gross anymore? And you can marry your dog or you can marry your horse or you can marry your cow or you can marry whatever you want. And your family can be whatever you define it to be. Because we are all doing what's right in our own eyes. Because we're our own gods. Making our own choices out of our own knowledge. Now you think that sounds really extreme. But I want you to just stop for a moment and think about where our world has come to. Not in the last 500 years. Not even in the last 5 years. Think about what our nation has come to in the last five months. And tell me that these extreme things are impossible because they are not. Because they're happening. They're just not promoted yet. Just like all of this has been happening, we just now have the courage to put it out there and make it public and say, if you don't believe this, if you don't accept this, then you're the hater. You're the person with the problem. You're the sinner. Churches and pastors making excuses for a watered-down gospel is not good news. Justifying ear-tickling messages and soft theology for any reason is wrong. The good news, the gospel, is that salvation has come to sinners. We do not have to continue in our sin. That's good news. We should not be trying to ease people out of or leave them in their sin because we love their approval or we're afraid they may reject us. Don't give yourself that much credit. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting Jesus. We are commanded to call men to repent. To turn from their sin. And come out of it. We are to do this in love. Because we love God. And we are commanded to also love our neighbor as ourself. The world is heading into death 
It's headed into destruction. It's already in death. It's born into death and it's headed for destruction. Should we warn the world by preaching the gospel? The answer is yes, we should. Not, that, not, not just because we should, but because we're commanded to do that. This is what Jesus commanded. The mantra today is you cannot judge me, only God can judge me. And that is exactly why we are preaching the gospel. God will judge all of us one day. And it will not be a good day for those who are not trusting in Jesus. It will not be a good day for those who decided they wanted to be their own God. To do their own thing right in their own eyes. And if we truly love men, we will tell them the truth. We can't make them listen. We can't make them agree. That's not it. We're not to be just disagreeable and not get along with people, but we are to love people enough to tell them the truth. We are as pastors, as Christians, we are to love people enough to live and to preach and proclaim the gospel through our lives. You don't have to be a thorn in someone's flesh to do that. If you just live the gospel, you're going to become a thorn to somebody. God has made a way for us to escape sin, to escape death, and enter into his eternal life through Jesus Christ. We come to this table each week to celebrate that good news and to thank God for the death of Jesus that has given to us life. Life eternal in our risen Savior. If you're here today and you're trusting Jesus... Parents, if you're here today with your covenant children and you're raising them up in the fear and the nurture of the Lord and they have received the sign of the covenant, which is baptism, they are welcome at this table. Just like your children are welcome at your table to get macaroni and cheese all over the floor because they don't know how to re eat real well right now. But we don't wait until they turn 16 and can use a fork really well and not get food all over themselves. We let them come to the table and we teach them the whole way what the table means and what the food means. This is what we do with our children. This is where discipleship begins, right here. But it can't end here. It needs to go out into the world. So Christian, if you trust in Jesus, come to the table. Welcome to Jesus. Here's your charge today. So think about it. God cleansed those animals in that vision he gave to Peter so that we could be here today and hear the gospel, receive the gospel, and by his grace through faith in Jesus be crucified with Christ and now raised up in his life. God has not abolished sin in the sense that he allows us to go out and sin. But God has abolished separation. We are to not be separated any longer in Christ. He has made in himself one new man. The world wants to continue living in division while God has made a way for us to be one. Resist the siren call of the world. Resist 
the bandwagon and the band calling you to jump on board because it will only lead to greater destruction. Now that we are in Christ, we must preach and live the very gospel that saves us and sets us free from sin. The good news is not that we can sin without guilt. The good news is that we are set free from sin and we are no longer to live in guilt. Christian, you are a new creation. The old has passed away into that new. Live like it. Do not fear man. Fear God and live accordingly for his glory. Amen.